Open your Bibles, please, to Romans chapter 8. Yesterday, I had the privilege of speaking to a group of uh, Christian uh, police officers that get together about once a month and have breakfast and uh, listen to God's Word and, and hear uh, what each other are doing. And uh, this is the first time I was there yesterday. And, and uh, had to be there at 7.30 in the morning, and my wife and I had to do something with transferring the cars, which is another story that doesn't matter. But So we're going together, and she has this brochure for the Grizzly Tent Sale. Now, how many of you know what Grizzly Tools is? <laughs> which was started at 8 o'clock yesterday morning. And she said, I can tell it's going to be a short sermon today. Because you're going to be wanting to be off to the Grizzly Tool Sale. And... Uh, and not even the grizzly tool sale can make me preach a short sermon. But, uh, but I did get to grizzly, and I got a great deal on a table saw. It needs a little bit of work, but I paid less than half price. So uh, I am thrilled about getting a bargain. I love a good deal. love Costco. love to get a good deal wherever I can. I haven't got into Craigslist yet, but boy, you can get some good deals on Craigslist. I think we sold our church bus off the Craigslist, didn't we? Good deals. I want to talk to you about what I think is the greatest deal in the world. And that is what a great deal salvation is. What a great deal it is to know God personally. Uh, follow, please, as I read from Romans 8, verses 31 to 39. Romans eight thirty-one. What shall we say then to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? It is Christ who died, and furthermore is also risen, who is, at, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Being a child of God, I think, is the greatest thing in the world. And I think this passage summarizes a big piece of, of why it's such a great thing to be a child of God. And, and I just want to touch on each of these verses briefly. And the first one in verse 31 that I would like to say that it's great to be a child of God because God's love is unlimited in its power. What shall we say then to, the, to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? The scripture talks about God in Job 38. God talks about himself and it says this, The Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and he said, Who is this who darkens counsel by his words without knowledge? Now prepare yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. 
Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? To what were its foundations fastened? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Or who shut in the sea with doors when it burst forth and issued from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment and the thick darkness its swaddling band, when I fixed my limit for it and set bars and doors, when I said, this far you may come, but no farther, and here your proud waves must stop. Have you commanded the morning since your days began and caused the dawn to know its place? God and Job were having an ongoing dialogue about some difficulty in Job's life. And God says, Job, why are you questioning me? If there is a God, and I believe there is, then this is a a description of part of who he is. He set the boundaries for the ocean. Why does the ocean go back and forth and only every once in a while lap up a little farther? Because God set the boundaries. Why does the sun come up and go down? Because God made it so. And God is able to do all of that. And Romans 8 tells us that that God is on our side. That God is on our side. We are not alone. Sue and I have started a remodel in our, one of our bathrooms in our home. And I'm excited because for the first time I have skilled help. Now, my wife helps, <coughs> kind of. She picks out everything and tells me what to do. <laughs> She's management, I'm labor. I know my place when it comes to remodeling. But now we have our daughter who was a trained interior designer, and she whipped up this diagram of this thing, and I went, wow, that looks cool. And her husband used to be a cabinet maker, and he said, yeah, I can do this and that. I said, yeah, do it. It's great to have good help. If you know God as your father, If you've believed in Christ as your Savior, God is your help. The God of the universe. The God who keeps this thing spinning day after day. The the God who keeps gravity holding us to the earth. That God is your help. You're not alone. God doesn't save us through faith in Christ and then sit back and say, Wow, I wonder what's going to happen today. God is our help. What a wonderful thing. Not only is is God's uh, love unlimited, but God's love is extravagant in his generosity. Look at verse 32 of Romans 8. He's talking in this whole context about people who would accuse, and part of who he's talking about, we'll get to in a minute, is, is Satan himself who would try to derail us. And so he talks back and forth about God and these other detractors. In verse 32, he's, verse 31 is the question, if God is for us, who can be against us? And part of the answer starts in verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also give us freely all things? God's love is so extravagant that he didn't even hold back on his own son book of Isaiah talks about this when it says, Yet it pleased the Lord, or pleased God the Father, to bruise Jesus Christ. He has put him to grief. 
When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Bible, this whole passage of Isaiah 53 talks about Jesus, and it says that when Jesus was on the cross, that what he was doing there was taking our sin upon him, and God was punishing him instead of punishing us. He was our substitute. He died in our place. He took punishment for us. And the extravagance of God's love is seen in the fact that instead of God looking at you and saying, you are going to burn in hell for your sin, he said, my son, Jesus Christ, the son of God, he will die on the cross and he will be able to take the punishment for sin and I will heap all of my wrath for sin upon him. That's extravagant love. Would I give my son to be killed for your survival? I was talking to a person who's not a believer out in the world, and he was describing how he stopped hanging around with a person that he used to hang around with. He says, this person doesn't have any morality to him. He said, you know, if you ask some people, if your son could die so 10 others would live, would you let your son die? He says, that guy would say yes. Now, humanly speaking, I'd say no. But that just shows the extravagance of God's love that he said, if that's what it takes, that's what it takes. That's how much he loved us. He put our sin onto Jesus. That's why God asks us to believe in the person and work of Jesus. Listen to what Jesus said himself while he was on the cross, about the ninth hour of the day. He wasn't on the cross for nine hours, but at about the ninth hour of the day, in the afternoon, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus had to suffer for us because God said that's the only way they can be saved. God is so generous in his love. I was thinking about generous gifts I've received. I was trying to think. I've, I've received a few. And one of them was when I was in high school. I was on the tennis team. And I had some old beater tennis racket that I think I got at Kmart maybe, you know. And one day my dad came home. He was working in Everett. And uh, he came home from work with a brand new tennis racket of the, of the latest variety. It was still wood. That's how long ago it was. Man, I thought, what in the world? That is the greatest thing. And I still have it. And it still holds together. It was a generous gift. How much more generous is God to let his son die for you Really, really generous. Really generous. God is extravagant in his love. Thirdly, God's love provides the ultimate security. Look at, look at Romans 8.33. What shall we, or who shall bring a charge against God's elect? 
The word elect means chosen. And the scripture teaches us that God works in our hearts and helps us come to faith in him. And that's the, the process of election or of choosing. Somehow he reaches down. Uh, we heard about different ways that God has worked in these three folks' lives today. That different people reached out to them and God used that to bring them to himself. And he says, who can bring a charge against God's chosen people? He says right after it, it's God that justifies. So if God's the one who knows about their sin, then who else can come along and try to cause them to lose their salvation? Well, Romans, or excuse me, the book of Revelation talks about the person of Satan, as I mentioned a moment ago. And you might be interested to, to know what he, what, how he spends his time. I don't know if you've ever considered that. I know we have a lot of movies and a lot of weird uh, ideology around the world. But this scripture tells us how he spends a lot of his time. So the dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth and his angels were cast out with him. So we see that part of his time is spent deceiving the world, wants people to think that they're on their way to heaven, even though they haven't put their faith in Christ. But listen to this. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren who accused them before God day and night. He has been cast down. Satan spends time accusing you to God if you're a Christian. He goes up to God and says, God, did you see what Dave Lunsford did right there? That's not what a Christian does. He tries to get me in trouble with God. He's called the enemy of our souls. You will most likely never see him. He will never talk to you. He may never be around you personally. But in heaven, he spends his time accusing you before God. Now look at Romans 8.33 again. Who can bring a charge against God's chosen ones? Who can do that? Satan tries to do that, but here's the great truth. He says at the end of the verse, it's God who justifies, or it's God who makes righteous. So the truth is this, God knew about your sin when you came to faith in Christ. Is he surprised that you're a sinner? Oh my goodness, Dave did something wrong. No. He knew all about my sin, and yet he still gave me salvation when I put my faith in Christ. So is he surprised now when I sin? Oh my goodness, I thought he was done with that when he accepted Christ. No, he's not surprised by that. And when Satan comes along and tries to say, look, he's a sinner, God goes, I know all about that. Now, is that an excuse to sin? No, it is not. Other scripture talks about that. Scripture talks about the fact that if I'm really born again, I will be working to stop sinning day by day as I grow to be more like Christ day by day. But Satan cannot get traction with God, first of all, because God already knows all about me, but also because of what verse 34 tells us, when it tells us that the love of Christ ensures our security. Look at verse 34. Who is he that condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. This is the greatest thing. 
He says, Christ is the one who died to pay for your sins, and he's not making an accusation. So who in the world is going to be able to do it? And the imagery that's drawn for us here is the imagery of a courtroom. Because it says that he lives to make intercession for us. Christ intercedes on our behalf with, uh, in front of God when Satan accuses us. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Sometimes our tendency is to think that every time we sin, God is mad at us. Now, God is disappointed when we sin. I understand that. And if we don't confess our sin, God will do things to make us want to confess our sin. It's called the discipline of God. He'll do that. But what he most wants is to forgive. And he doesn't listen to Satan as Satan accuses us because Jesus is standing in the courtroom going, Wait a minute! This is baloney because when I died on the cross, my blood that was shed took away the sin that was passed and made possible the forgiveness of sin that will happen in their Christian life. So Jesus is there being our lawyer. Hebrews 7.25 says, Therefore he, Jesus, is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Satan spends his time accusing us. Jesus spends his time defending us. He is our lawyer in heaven. The word advocate is, is the, the Greek word that would essentially translate it as lawyer for us. Satan cannot get any traction when he accuses us to God. I'm thankful that I've never had a personal need for an attorney other than to write a will. Had a need to use an attorney a few times in some Christian ministries when we were merging or doing some legal things. And I know a couple of good Christian attorneys. And I know some of you say those two words don't belong in the same sentence, but it's not true. One fellow in particular down in Tacoma really serves the Lord with his legal abilities, and he's helped us. And I'm glad to have a fellow like that that I can trust who is advocating for me in our ministry. If I had a legal problem right now, I wouldn't hesitate to call him up, say, Terry, we got a problem. And I know that he would advocate for us. And Jesus is doing that for me in heaven. The one who died for my sin is now defending me as one of his believers. What a great thing is the love of God. Not only the love of Christ ensures our security, but the love of Christ is unstoppable. Look at verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or sword or nakedness or peril? He's saying nothing, nothing can stop us from the love of Christ. These are the words of Jesus himself right here from the Gospel of John. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me, he is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Can you get the picture here? The picture is a little something like, like the all-state hands. Only the hands are Jesus Christ. And he says, no man can snatch them out of my hands. And you know what? You can't snatch yourself out of God's hands. 
When you come to true faith in Christ, when you believe in him that he died for you, that he is the son of God, and that he is your savior, you, he takes you up into his hands. And, and what that scripture seems to say is that Christ is in God, and you're double protected by Christ and the Father. The love of Christ is unstoppable. There is nothing that is going to take you away from the love of Christ. Sixthly, the love of Christ is dangerous. This is the part that we don't like to talk about, but we have to. Look at verse 36. As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Now, I'm thankful to say that that is not the experience that I have had personally, but there have been a a number of Christians, and there continues to be to this day in many countries, experiencing exactly what that scripture says. And the Apostle Paul wrote this in 1 Corinthians 4, To the present hour we both hunger and thirst, we are poorly clothed and beaten and homeless, We labor, working with our hands, being reviled, we bless, being persecuted, we endure, being defamed, we entreat. We have been made as the filth of the world, the off-scouring of all things until now. The first big wave of persecution of Christians came from Rome when Nero blamed the falling apart of the Roman Empire on Christians. This is the Colosseum in Rome, where Christians gave up their life for no other reason than being Christians. They wouldn't deny Christ and, and worship the, the, uh, the Caesar, the current Caesar, which would have been Nero at that time. They wouldn't worship him as God. That's what they were asked to do. And so they were killed because they wouldn't deny their faith. And there were thousands and thousands of people killed that way, not just in the Colosseum, but in various places. From the time of Christ until about A.D. 300, that was official Roman policy. It, it, it grew to the point to where it was, it was almost mandated to punish, to punish and kill Christians for being Christians. And still today, there are many places in the world, you know, uh, one thinks of China. It's relaxed a little bit there in recent days. It's not as hard as it used to be to be a Christian there. But places like Iraq and Iran... It's extremely hard to come to faith in Christ because if you tell one person, you risk your life, you risk your job, you risk everything. It's dangerous to love Christ. It absolutely is. No telling what's going to happen in this country. There are already people now who will talk about us conservative Christians in the same light that they talk about fundamentalist Muslims. And it's not at all a fair comparison because we don't coerce anybody into believing I would ask the three people who were baptized today, did we twist your arm? No. No, the person that twisted your arm was God. He twisted your heart. And that's what we believe in. That's why I'm preaching the word of God today. I'm not going to twist anybody's arm. All of you that are guests today, don't worry. After church, I won't be out there squeezing your arm going, when are you getting in there? I won't be saying that. I don't. I didn't ask any of these people to get baptized. Did I ask you to get baptized? No. You know what? God works right in people's hearts. And that's why he's so dangerous to the world, because he's unstoppable. Christianity has gone on for 2,000 years, and and, and one dictator after another, one hater of God after another, has tried to stamp it out. But it's unstoppable. 
But i got to tell you, Christian, it's dangerous. If you're really going to live for the Lord, it's going to be a challenge. I was surprised at some of the people I saw at the, at the law enforcement breakfast yesterday. I thought, boy, some of these people are pretty public. I'm surprised, I'm a little surprised that they're willing to stand up and say, yeah, I'm a Christian. And, yeah, let's talk about the Lord. It's dangerous to follow the Lord, but it's more dangerous not to. <laughs> Because the danger of following the Lord is short-term, and the danger of not following the Lord is eternal. The love of Christ is dangerous. The love of Christ is also empowering. Look at verse 30, 37. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. The Apostle Paul put it this way. He said, we're hard-pressed on every side. We are pressed, yet we're not crushed. We're perplexed, not in despair. We're persecuted, but not forsaken. We're struck down, but not destroyed. Why would somebody go to their death for Christianity, for Christ? There only could be one reason, because he's in their heart, and it's powerful. In all these things, we are more than conquerors. The Apostle Paul himself was in jail singing hymns at midnight. Wow, the love of Christ is empowering. Lastly, the love of God is permanent. There is nothing more unsettling to me than a bumpy airplane ride. Uh, I've been in some cars that were driven too fast by people who weren't that good of drivers. You always feel like you could maybe jump out the door and survive, you know? But when the airplane is going, hum, 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 there is no place to go. Because they do not provide parachutes. Your seat will act as a flotation device in the cause of a crash, but your seat back will not be a parachute. And man, that, it just kind of, it's just, oh, ooh, ooh, you know? And uh, it's so great to land. The last few flights I've taken all seem to have a period of carnival atmosphere in them. They don't have to tell me to put the seatbelt on. Of course I'm going to put the seatbelt on. Do you know what, what the scripture tells us about the love of God? It tells us that no matter what forces attack you, no matter how scary life gets, no matter how bumpy the ride gets, you are safe in God's love. I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God. You are safe in God's love. What a, what a wonderful, incredible blessing that is for us. Tremendous article in the paper this week called Memories of D-Day. And here's a, there's a fellow pictured here. I don't know if you saw this, but um, Alvin Tisland pictured by a tank, possibly at Fort Lewis, in this World War II era photo. Tisland, who settled in Whatcom County after the war, drove a Sherman swimming tank during the Allied invasion of Europe on D-Day. And according to the, uh, the military records, he is, they believe he is the first guy to drive a tank onto the beach on D-Day, and one of only a handful that survived the floating part of that floating tank thing. They let them off. Their plan was to let them off four miles offshore. 
and they were going to drive ashore. Obviously, they wanted to protect the ships. Maybe a tank can't be seen as well in that day as it, something else. And uh, I think out of, I don't know, out of 32 in his group, two of them made it, you know. And, uh, and he survived, and his tank survived. I mean, the miracle of miracles, and horror of horrors, some of the things that he had to do. But here's the part that was just so poignant to me. About a, at some point, he was talking with his grand, one of his grandchildren, and they said, would you like to go back to Europe? And he said, yeah, I'd like to go back. So they went back and went to Normandy and, and uh, all of that. And uh, while at the American Military Cemetery overlooking Omaha Beach, Tislin began talking to another elderly veteran nearby, a Belgian girl, a girl from Belgium, about nine years old, left, left her family and approached the two men. She reached up and grabbed one of their jackets. When they looked down to see what she wanted, she extended her, her hand and said, Thank you. She said, Thank you. She knew that her freedom was bought at the price of their service. As great as that service was, the service that Christ rendered to us is greater. He has made possible the salvation of your eternal soul. And I want to know if you've said thank you. Jesus said, here's how you say thank you. If you love me, keep my commandments. And this is his commandment that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. You may have known about God, you may have known about Jesus, you may have known about the cross, but the question I want to ask you today is, have you ever looked at that tremendous sacrifice that Christ made and that God made for you, and the tremendous love poured out to that and said, thank you, in the way that God wants you to say it? And that way is to say, I believe in Jesus Christ as my Savior. When you put faith in Christ, you're saying thank you to God. You're accepting his gift. And if you're a Christian today, I would ask you if you've said thank you to God. By this we know love because he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Last week we started a series of sermons about love. If you appreciate the, the sacrifice of Christ, you know how God wants you to show it? Right there in that last phrase. To lay down your life for other folks around you. That's how you say thank you to God. It's wonderful to sing praise songs like we do. I love it. I love to say thank you God for saving my soul. And, and, and we need to do that. But that's not where the worship ends. That's not where the appreciation ends. It starts there and it works out to where we are working to be like Christ, to love one another out of a heart of respect and admiration and appreciation for what he's done for us. Heavenly Father, thank you for my salvation. Thank you, Jesus, for going to the cross for me. Father, help me to honor you by loving people better.
Help me to appreciate what you've done in my life by living the way you've asked me to live. Father, if there's folks here today that have never put their faith in Christ, may they understand the gospel, the good news of salvation. May they come to faith in Christ. May they look up to you and say, thank you for saving my soul. I receive the gift that you're giving. Father, thank you for our time today. Thank you for these folks that have been baptized. Continue to use this memory in their life and this obedience to bless them and encourage them on their way to you. I pray in Christ's name, amen.